Father, as we come this morning, we lift up our praises to you. We come with joy in our hearts and thanksgiving on our lips. And we pray that our, our praise would be a welcome sound to your ears, that, that our lives would be a worthy offering in your eyes. And we pray, Father, that this morning you would once again open our eyes and our, our minds and our hearts to see and to be in awe of your son and his life and the life that he gives us and offers to us each day, the life that is held out for us as a promise for eternity. We pray that that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would so powerfully dwell in and among us. For those of us who are in dark times, with dark situations, we pray that the light of the resurrection would shine powerfully this morning. For those of us who can smell death, we pray that the aroma of life would overpower us. And we pray that in all things, our hearts and minds would be transformed to love and be loved and to follow the crucified and risen one. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. The news of the day. He is risen. ready for our guest. And one of them was, if you walked in in the visitor central over there, there used to be like a foot, foot and a half uh, gap between the ground and the floor of the visitor room. And so last Easter, with the instruction of some of our wiser members, I went to Home Depot and I bought some grass and laid the grass down and grew that grass. And it was amazing. It was pretty epic, this gardening project of mine. I think it has attracted lots of wildlife. For a while, the grass started to die. I think Chris Bowers, who does our lawn, was sabotaging it. <laughs> but I had the board put some pressure on him, and uh, <laughs> it came through. I've, I moved into a house with my wife recently, and, and so we have now a lawn that I have to keep up and weeds that just never seem to die. The gardening project continues. And as I've reflected on Easter and on the Easter story, I've come to notice that in, in one very important sense, the Easter story, the story of Jesus' resurrection, is a story about a garden. Easter itself is kind of a garden project, and I want to explore that idea with you this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 19. 
John 19 is where we will be as we start uh, exploring John's version of the Easter story. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black hardback underneath the seat around you, and you're more than welcome to grab one of those and flip there with me. John 19, we're going to pick it up in verse 38. And as we read John's version of the Easter story, I want you to pay attention to any repetition that you see, any words or phrases or ideas that you see John repeat. John is a very intentional author, and so the things that he repeats, uh, he does so with purpose. We'll pick it up in chapter 19, verse 38. This is after Jesus' crucifixion. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So notice the scene. Jesus is buried, and he's buried in a garden. Not just a garden, but a a garden tomb of sorts. Chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, if you are not a Bible expert, the the disciple called the one who Jesus loved is John. He's talking about himself as one does. I would suggest you do this, um, you know, online social media biography on a resume. It looks really well. Um, the one that Jesus loved. John uh, describes himself that way, and we're about to read what has to be my favorite story in the Bible. Um, John now proceeds to tell us what happens when Mary tells Peter and himself about the body um, not being there. So they went to Simon Peter, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came like a really, really, really long time afterwards, (laughs) following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, you know, the one who had gotten there faster, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The disciples went back to their homes. I love this because there's no reason that this story about the running should be in this story. For years, every time I preach this passage, I look, spend hours trying to find one scholar who can, who can show me one like, addition that this point gives to the narrative. And there's nothing. It adds nothing to the narrative. Except that you and I know John is faster than Peter. 
And if you know anything about Peter in the rest of the Gospels, he was a bit of an uh, obnoxious kind of character. He was quick to boast. He was kind of loud. And so John is probably pretty happy to stick it to Peter in this story. I can imagine Peter right now very upset at John. For all of eternity, this is how the story is told. If Peter was telling the story, I think it would be a, a little bit of a shorter story. We ran to the tomb and got there roughly the same time. <laughs> John gets there before Peter. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? I think this is the question of Easter. I think this is God's question to creation on Easter Sunday. Why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now, a couple of things to notice. Mary Magdalene is a very important character in the Gospels. If the resurrection stories in all of the Gospels are about anybody other than Jesus, they're about Mary. Mary is a very devoted follower of Jesus. We have a tradition in the church of kind of whitewashing women in their roles in the Gospels. And so we often overlook Mary. But Mary is, if not the most, one of the most devoted followers that Jesus has during his lifetime. Mary, in fact, is mentioned by name more than any other disciple in all four of the Gospels. And when Jesus is killed, she is there at the tomb weeping, making a visit. And she sees that the body has been taken away. It appears that way. The, the body's not there anymore. And two angels show up. And, and she's told to go and tell John and, and Peter, and she goes and tells them, they come and look, and they see an empty tomb, and, and we're told they believed and went away. But we're unsure of what they believed. Because you've got to remember, an empty tomb is not good news. An empty tomb is just more questions. An empty tomb is not the hope that Christians have. This is not the, the truth of Easter that energizes Christians. A risen person is the truth of Easter. An empty tomb is just... Confusion. John and Peter, though, they seem like they're okay with what we might call like rumors of a resurrection. But that's not good enough for Mary. The tomb is empty, and she goes back and she weeps. And angels show up and, and ask her, why, why are you weeping? And they say, I don't know where my, my Lord is. And then she turns. Notice, you see this word turning twice. She turns once and she sees Jesus. But she makes a mistake. She thinks that Jesus is a gardener. It's interesting that she assumes that Jesus is a gardener. Perhaps they're early in the morning to tend to the garden. It's an ironic mistake. Perhaps it's a prophetic mistake. And perhaps it's not a mistake at all. Maybe Jesus is 
the gardener cultivating God's new life in the new age to come. But she doesn't recognize Jesus. And you ask her, what, what, what's going on? Why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And she said again, look, just tell me, tell me where he is and I'll, I'll go get him. And Jesus says to her, Mary, and it clicks. We're told she turns again and, and says, Rabboni, my teacher. Try to, try to play this out in your mind, okay? Imagine I turn to speak to you. Now we're speaking. Now imagine I then turn again to speak to you. It doesn't work, right? I could do a 360 and I'm back here with you. What's most likely happening is John likes to play on words. He likes to use words in multiple ways in his gospel. So in John's gospel, there's light, and then there's light. And there's life, and then there's life. And Mary turns to Jesus and sees a gardener and has questions about where her Lord is. And then notice it's not when she sees Jesus, it's not when she hears his voice, it's when she hears him call her by name, Mary, that she turns again, her heart, her soul, her mind turns to Jesus, and she realizes he's alive, he's resurrected, he has defeated death. Now, note where they are, they're in a garden. They're in a garden, and note when this is happening. This is happening on the first day of the week. John goes out of his way to emphasize these facts over and over again. It's the first day of the week. It's in a garden. John is trying to leave a trail of breadcrumbs for us to think back to creation in Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible, the beginning of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he placed human beings in a garden the Garden of Eden. And this garden was paradise. All of the things about existence that plague you and I were not there. There's no pain, there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no mourning. But we sabotaged this garden. We were kicked out. And we've lived outside of the garden since, reaping what we have sown, experiencing pain and sorrow and death and sickness experiencing tears, the tears that Mary goes through as she weeps over the death of her Lord. But it's on the first day of the week, in a garden, that things start to change. That the death that had entered into creation because of our sin starts to be undone. First, in the person of Jesus When Mary supposes that Jesus is the gardener, perhaps she's not that mistaken. Perhaps Jesus is the gardener of God's new life, cultivating the resurrection into the world. Perhaps he is the gardener who has come to restore paradise. Perhaps he is the gardener who's come to uproot all the thorns and the thistles and the weeds that have made their way into creation. John's gospel begins like Genesis begins, in the beginning. But this time it's not about the world, it's about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. John's gospel is a gospel of new creation. It's a gospel of God coming back into the world, getting his hands dirty once again, and starting a garden project. Easter is a garden project. 
Jesus coming to creation, taking on our death, and then starting to slowly but surely undo all of the consequences of our sin, of our disobedience. Jesus is the new Adam, the scriptures tell us. He is the one who has come to undo all of the things that we have brought into creation. One of those things being tears. Notice that Mary here um, has her tears wiped away from Jesus, wiped off of her face by Jesus. This is a promise that you find throughout the scriptures. God says over and over and over again that one day I will come and I'll wipe the tears from your face. In Revelation 21, we're told there will be no more tears when God is done with his garden project. What's happening here on Easter morning, on Easter Sunday, is Jesus is beginning to bring back his garden to creation, to get rid of all of the thorns and the thistles and the weeds that have made their way in. And it starts with Mary. New creation is among us, and Mary's the first to experience it. She hears Jesus call her by her name, and she turns to him. She recognizes him as the risen one, the one who has defeated death, the one who has started this work of new creation. She then experiences it. She has her tears taken away. And then she goes to spread the news. Mary is called the apostle to the apostles, the preacher to the preacher, the messenger to the messengers. She goes and tells the other disciples that there's a gardener, that he's wiping away tears. He's cultivating God's new life in creation. Now, we know that the garden is not complete. What happens on Easter Sunday is just the beginning of what the Scriptures call the the world to come, the age to come. It's the beginning of Jesus' garden project. But as of yet, there are still lots of weeds around us, lots of thorns around us. We experience so much of life outside of the garden But the beauty of Easter, the promise of Easter, is that you and I can, like Mary, hear Jesus call our name, turn to him, experience the power of new life, and then be given the task to go and share that good news, that power, that life, that love. Karl Barth, a a Christian scholar, said that there are only resurrections where there are graves. There are only new life where there's been death. It's in the context of tears that perhaps we're best able to recognize and celebrate and appreciate the resurrection. And so many of us know what it's like to live in a a tear-soaked world, know what it's like to, like Mary Magdalene, sit and weep over the death and the darkness that's in creation. Yesterday, uh, a friend of mine who's a a pastor at a church in Houston, her husband died unexpectedly. So they, she's weeping. And the the year for me has been one full of of tears. A few months ago, I had a, a, a student of mine, a former student of mine, die. I was 16 years old. I had a seizure, told my car. And I think all of these tears, though, prepare me best 
to understand what's happening this morning. It's when you're crying at the tomb that you're most well positioned to have Jesus wipe the tears away and say, I come with new life. I come to defeat death. I come with news of a new world. I come with a garden that is being cultivated and you're invited into it. This is the the message of Easter. This is the good news that we proclaim. That this is the same Christ, the same Jesus, who here encounters Mary, who this morning speaks our names, who this morning we are invited to turn to, who this morning we're invited to experience new life, We're invited to step into the garden and we're called to go out into the world and be a conduit of this resurrection life. And so this morning as we celebrate Easter Sunday, this is the question for you and for I. Do you hear him calling? Do you hear the Spirit saying your name? Not the name of the person next to you, not the name of the church in general, but, but your name. Do you hear it? And hearing it, do you turn? Will you turn? And for those of us with clothes soaked with tears, for those of us sitting in dark places, for those of us on our way to funerals, will you experience Will you accept his work of resurrection? Will you rejoice and celebrate in the news that death has been defeated, that a new world has arrived, God's future has burst into the present? And the thorns and the weeds that we now are prickled by are slowly but surely being plucked away. And one day, will stand resurrected with Christ in a new garden, God's new creation. Will you hear? Will you turn? Will you accept his life? And will you share that life? Please pray with me. Father, we, we come before you this morning praying that you would fill our hearts and our minds with the momentum of your victory, with the energy of the resurrection life. We pray that you would open up our imaginations to see the world around us as a place where you are now cultivating your garden of new creation. We pray that we would walk away from those things that don't belong in your garden, and that we would clothe ourselves with those things that do belong in the garden. Father, I pray that you would allow us to hold fast to the power of your resurrection, to the promise of the defeat of death, into the life that you have given us through your work. And it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that all God's people prayed, saying,
Amen.